Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. What's up, guys? How's it going? Why do I feel like I'm not on? Am I on? Do you can hear me? Excellent. Good. How's Portland doing tonight? Earlier, I, I don't know why I was thinking of this. Earlier, I was thinking about how late night talk show dudes come out and they're like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great show for you tonight. But I'm like, I don't know that. Um, <laughs> be like, maybe. Maybe. Uh, got, got a couple people I want to say hi to out in the crowd. So, Sarah. There's someone named Sarah here who, like, here's a weird deal, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> so your husband, like, didn't want to bring you and was going to bring... Your husband didn't want to bring you and was going to bring some other guy. That guy's wife has a baby, and then he's like, ah, oh, I guess I'll bring Sarah. <laughs> so... Yes, yeah, Sarah. The baby, the baby is Tommy, the dad is Brian, and they're presumably being together right now, forming a bond, so that's great. Uh, it's good what, timing on their part, yeah, for having a baby, right? Not in hunting season. What is it? Uh-oh. Good timing, not in, not in hunting season, baby. Well done. There's a, there's a dude out here, Ryan Kristen, who supposedly looks exactly like me. Where is he? Is it not true? Look at him. Does he look like me? All right. <laughs> uh, our good buddy Matt Elliott from Benchmade is here. He's a bass angler extraordinaire, so hi to him. And then uh, a guy I know a bit, Joe Furia. Are you here? All right. Okay. A um, couple things. Got a couple things we got to cover real quick. 
Did you guys listen to a recent episode where there's a dude that, well, I want to do introductions. <laughs> because they, you'll see why. Go ahead, Cal. Well, that's not, you're, if you're going to do introductions, you introduce people. I'm going to allow for introductions. Uh, are we going to uh, introduce each other? Or are you? No, I'm willing. My name is Ryan Callahan. Thank you very much for coming on. Feel real was, strong about all he that. said was his name. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Ben O'Brien. <laughs> My name is Giannis Patelis. Thank you. Out of way. About Giannis, we had an episode recently where I want to find us to get it right. Nice There's segue. There's a guy, we had an episode called Noxious Stimuli, and in it, we were talking about a guy that wrote in. He was saying how Giannis doesn't get any credit. And he wrote this poem about Giannis that had the very awkward line in action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god, which I thought was the worst line in the world. Um, oh, hang on. Really? We got your back. Yeah, maybe. Damn it. Are you sitting on that thing? Is it back on now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this uh, your first time, Steve? No. So this is called building suspense. So I thought it was the worst line ever. And a, and a listener wrote in to say that the man that wrote that poem plagiarized portions of it from Shakespeare. It's from Hamlet. And I, that says something about him. Like if you're going to plagiarize, like generally you don't do it from the world's most famous writer ever. <laughs> Because you're going to get caught, and it's going to say something about me that I sat through Shakespeare seminars in high school, college, and graduate school, but did not pick up that that was from Shakespeare's <laughs> finest work. But I do, when I retire from my current job, I want to write a book called In Defense of Not Loving the Bard. And it'll be like, <laughs> like a, 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 a book-length essay about how it's okay to dislike Shakespeare. Um... He goes on to give a haiku. He writes a haiku for Giannis, which is a solid haiku. It's this. Laughing eagle, keen of eye and swift of kill, power ring, onward. That's a, that's a haiku. <laughs> also, uh, another quick correction from Noxious Stimuli. There's a guy who wrote in, he describes himself as noxious stimulus because he was a person that wrote a piece of hate mail uh, that, that was talking about how I suffer from narcissism and ADHD and that our underwear is very expensive, which that part I can tell you is not true because my underwear is nine bucks. But he was adding into, so we, we have a thing where we've crowdsourced uh, things that we know make turkeys gobble. And we have a new shirt coming out, which is all the best things that make turkeys gobble from sonic booms to, what else is on there? Rumble strips. Car doors. Car, I don't know if that made the shirt. Car uh, horns probably made the shirt. I don't know if that made no, the shirt. Didn't. Thunder. Did that Throw, make the shirt? Throwing, throwing rocks at stop Hunking signs. Hunking rocks at stop signs. <laughs> Kicking rusty old hunks of metal. Dry dude. <laughs> so... The dude wrote in, and he, this is an interesting story where he and his wife refurbished 
an old cuckoo clock. You can see where this is going. And he's got horses, and turkeys come in in the winter to feed on the horse feed and then to pick grain out of the horse shit. And one day, he, his new cuckoo clock gets done, and he opens the door. The cuckoo clock goes off, and four gobblers all hit it. Yep. So it was too late to make the shirt. Um, on that... I heard another one that's new that was, I think it was DM'd to me. I like using DM. I feel like I'm, I'm young. I yeah. Like that, <laughs> you don't? No, it I don't like that. It, it does? Uh, it sounds creepy. Oh, yeah. I, I, thought it was only like creep- a- I thought it was only creepy if you said slide in on DMs. <laughs> I thought that's where it gets. Creepy. I have been getting that myself. No, I'm sliding in on your DMs. Yeah, I don't get it. That's the creepy. I like to say I'm creeping in on your DMs. I'm just sneaking but it's in. It's DL, there. right? No, you don't. No, it's direct down low. <laughs> Direct messages is what we're talking about. You're thinking down low. These are got, totally different DMs. I got lost because I, I left my uh, cord, so I'm really distracted by my, me not having my cord with me that I plugged this thing in with, so I missed. You're saying you like to say DMs because it makes you feel young. Yeah, and do you know what those are, DMs? Direct messages. There you go. I say, uh, I say a dude it. wrote in, or 10% of the time I get to say a woman wrote in. <laughs> Anywho, this fellow was saying that he was having a slow morning of turkey hunting and decided to pack himself a big chaw. So he brought out his tin and... (laughs) And got a gobble. gobble. Yeah. That's good. Uh, On the subject of turkeys, I heard a quote that I thought you'd like, Giannis, and it was that when a deer sees a man, it thinks it's a stump. When a turkey sees a stump, it thinks it's a man. I like that. Yeah, it's good. I feel like a turkey's like a puffed up Roomba that's just going around. They don't know what they're doing, man. They're idiots. They're idiots. Yeah. I'm not going to defend turkeys right now. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about, does anybody in here make their living? Uh, Are any of you the people that all make their living catching northern pike minnows? Do you know about this? That guy does. Hey, no, seriously, has anyone in here redeemed, has anyone in here collected a bounty? You guys have collected your bounties on Northern Pike Minnows. Yo, Dude, we got at least is, three, four, five, yeah. six. This is a fascinating business that you guys got going on yes. in this state. Who's going to break this down? For, for, I know everybody in here is a bounty hunter, but um, someone <laughs> needs to break this down. Who wants to start? Get him, Cal. It's an odd thing, is what I would start with. You have a native fish species that has a bounty on its head. Um, what did? Real quick. He's good. <laughs> well, there's always one guy. Well, we're gonna get into this, and then we're gonna get in. There's a whole lot that needs to be covered here. But what basically, was, did you, you grow up. Not, yeah, you grew. Up, so you grew up knowing the fish as a squawfish. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yep. Northern pike minnow, squawfish, it has other names. Squawker. Squawker? Yeah. yeah. Did you, I thought you named another one. Yeah, it was the, uh, was it the Columbia River Dace. Oh, okay. Yep. It's a minnow. It's in the minnow family, I believe. Mm-hmm. Now set the, set the, you know, set All the right. table. Set the table. I know everybody's hip to this. Most folks are hip to this in this room. But um, basically you have uh, this pike minnow. It's a predator like very aggressive eater, and they uh, collect in large groups, uh, 
behind the dams, and then they will put a serious hurt on the steelhead and salmon smolt as they stack up behind the dams uh, in large holes too. But um, yeah, so the Bonneville, right? Bonneville. Yep. 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 yep they, the power company. I want, because we're telling you guys, we're trying to put a if you didn't detect, we're trying to throw a local spin on this whole thing. Did my mic just cut out again? Yeah. Yeah. Son of a. No, we got you again now, oh. though. Trying to throw a local spin on this. Don't you got to remember all those brothers in Ohio and whatnot. That don't know about this, so go on. Yeah, so um, there is a incentive to catch and kill the northern pike minnow uh, in an attempt to protect steelhead and salmon. And they put a bounty on them. Yep, so I think it's two bucks a fish. No. Eight. It's eight? What? <laughs> Last time yeah, I looked at it. Eight bucks a fish. Am I right? I'm right. There's a right. dollar amount, though. If you catch one to five, you get this much. That's a six-pack of fancy beer per fish. <laughs> <laughs> so this year, yeah, right. so the, 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 the bounty program, the, bounty, the annual bounty program opens May 1, runs through May 30. Then you have until November 15th to turn in your vouchers, which you get upon catching the fish for payment. And this year, more than one dozen anglers earned over 20 grand fishing pike minnows in the Snake and Columbia River. The program... Good job, guys. Well, hold it. <laughs> you did it. Like, you you did guys it? are throwing a lot of hate. You guys are throwing a lot of hate at a little fish. And I'm going to get into this. Because there's, there's more to it. I'm not, I'm not disparaging the program at I'm all. I'm just giving props to those guys that went out, or gals that went out there and did it. Got it done. Yeah, because what we were unable to find out today, who's the most reputable person out in the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> these, these two guys right here seem Yeah, these are reputable characters. We've he, had these he's guys. saying he is. Did you guys say you, you collected a bounty? In high school. Okay. Do, are, do you have some exposure to yeah. contemporary pike minnow fishing? Yep. Can you, in, less, in like in a sentence explain how, what is the tactic? What is the approach? So, the most effective approach? Uh, for catching them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, chicken liver and worms. Chicken liver and worms. So you're just classic bait fishing, bobber, no bobber? Very brief. On the bottom. Okay, so you so like you're out fishing sunnies or bluegills or whatever, but it's yeah, white minnows. Different spots, different time of year during wherever the, you know. Yeah, they congregate, the right? They're getting big big uh they pot up yes yeah okay so hold on real quick i just want to make sure that the expert in the fifth row back here concurs <laughs> <laughs> you guys everybody's cool. Up. everybody's cool with the idea that people use liver and worms and in basic bobber on the bottom a couple split shot kind of standard rig okay good now there's some weird parts of this that we'll get to. So the program pays anglers five to eight bucks for pike minnows over nine inches long. As of October 17th, the top angler had made $71,049 this year. The next three spots, so, so he's number one. Numbers two, three, and four, these guys in that period made over 50,000 bucks fishing pike minnows. Uh, there are... A bunch in the top 20, there are a bunch of guys who made anywhere from 16 to 36. Last year, the top angler 
in the Northern Pike Minnows Sport Reward Fishery pulled 84 grand for five months work. Down, down from la- the previous year in 2016, a mug fished up $119,341 worth of pike minnows. Five months of work. But here's where this gets weird, is they, to, to get people even more fired up, they released 1,000 tagged fish, which if you catch those, you get 500 bucks. But that's like a funny deal, because you're saying like, you're saying like to your kids, You'd be like, I want you kids to kill all the rats. And I'm going to put a bunch more rats. <laughs> like, and they're all going to be in there. And if you catch those rats, and then I'm going to pay you eight bucks for every rat you catch, and I just let a lot more in there. But I'm hoping that that means that they are, that the ones that are cutting loose, I'm having to think are sterilized, maybe? No. No. They say no. Really? Oh. I will tell you, uh, squa- or, uh, pike minnow ceviche is very good. Um, Especially those tagged ones. They're extra delicious. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, because if you catch a tagged one, you get 500 bucks, you buy a shitload of lemons. Yeah, Lime, or limes. <laughs> yeah. Shitload of beer, shitload of lemons. Go eat some sushi. Uh. They've caught like 5 million of these things since they started the program. We were reading since 1990. That's what it said. How many? Five million. Oh, so the thousand is nothing. No. Since the beginning of the program. Yeah, I got you. I could see it. Um, Real quick on chafing. Hold on. I'm not. (laughs) Go ahead. Do you have more to add? I'm not ready to go to chafing yet. I was just thinking about it that there's, I know a lot of fly fishing guides, myself being one of them, that like, you're not making anywhere near that kind of money busting your butt all summer long, rowing people down river. People that are, you know, the people that really have fish on the brain. Cal, you can speak to this. They might oh, want yeah. to consider coming out here and making money for four or five months. Of, yeah, man. Of, I, ca- I think you get a, get a system down, be good. You but I tell you, they, I mean, they are a fun fish uh, on the fly rod. Like they, especially in the spring when they're spawning, like they destroy flies. Super fun. There but you the go. Dudes were, the caliber of dudes we're talking about here oh this is, is a fanatic. whole different deal man. they're not at it for fun no, no. well that, it might be enjoyable but i'm saying these are like top shelf anglers a lot of days before i get into chafing i want to hit a point <laughs> that i forgot because this is like uh, i was hitting up matt elliott about this what matt elliott who i mentioned earlier um he's got a real axe he i don't want to say he's got an axe to grind he brings up an interesting point because Matt, he likes to be in bass fishing contests, bass tournaments. Um, so they, they, he, he's expressing his concern that people are taking the same level, they, they want to persecute smallmouth bass the same way they're persecuting the pike minnow. He takes offense to the idea because a thing that they find with the pike minnows, you know how they don't pay till the, the fish hits nine inches yeah a thing you run into there is that the the once the pike minnow hits a certain size he's more likely to have like he's more likely to, be, to become piscivorous which means the fish is more likely to become a fish eater 
So when he hits a certain size, size threshold, his diet might switch to feeding on sal- like salmonid fry. Oftentimes when you're trying to like destroy a fit or like to remove non-natives through mechanical means. Steve, I've got to interrupt, man, because the expert in the row five, man, he's, he, he is like, we oh, are, the he expert just, in row five has raised his hand about 20 tore, times. He just and I feel like we're, 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 like, we're, we're messing up. We must be messing up the pike minnow thing really bad because okay, this dude's fixing now, to have a conniption. I would love to hear what it is because I just can't <laughs> picture that what I'm saying is not correct. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just clarify it quick, quick and dirty, please. Feed on the uh, lamprey eel also, not so much the salmon smoke, but lamprey eel also. So much the, the bottom walker worm rig harness for walleye. The state of Oregon and Washington. Oh, yeah, do it fast, though, fast, faster. <laughs> okay, so he's pointing out, he's pointing out, a gentleman in the audience is pointing out that they like to feed on lampreys. Cool? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Matt Elliott was telling me <laughs> that. <laughs> Oregon and Washington have released the limits on the smallmouth bass, the walleye, and the catfish. There's no limits. You can catch as many as you want. I'll get to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> rub your, but, but rub first, your shoulder. Passion. I'm trying to lay out. I, I'm trying to lay out. I'm trying to lay out okay. a little ichthyology here. Now, I do want to add that Some part of the reason for that nine-inch rule is they are likely preyed upon below nine inches by other species, too. Great. Right? Great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with me, if you will, for a moment. Weren't you saying something? Yes. Now, you guys are familiar with the infestation in the Mississippi and Ohio river rivers of the silver carp and big head carp so they come in there and they they come in and they open up a commercial fishery to try to remove the fish and they set a certain mesh size so you can you can run a like a large square mesh and you'll pull out the largest of the carp the thing that you find when you're doing mechanical removal so not poisoning but doing mechanical removal of fish that you're trying to get rid of is you don't you wind up not affecting the biomass, but you affect the makeup of the population. So someone might look and, and say a certain system is going to support X pounds of some species of fish. As you remove all those larger pike minnows, you wind up with the same poundage of pike minnows living in the system. You're just affecting sort of the, the demographics of the population. Matt Elliott's grief with the persecution of smallmouth is that he was telling me how as a smallmouth gets bigger, his diet actually switches to crayfish. But by removing the largest smallmouth, you are selecting for smallmouth that are more likely to be eating salmonids. Tracking? Yeah. That's all I'm trying to get across, man. <laughs> now, if, the guy, if the gentleman from row five wants to come up, and, and explain the rest, but that's fine. But I'm still trying to get to this chasing. Are we good on this? Yeah. yeah. I'm cool. Chafing? Chafing. Uh, this, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say about chafing, but we, we covered a lot of cures from a guy who took baloney. We talked about this guy. Took a slice <laughs> yeah, of baloney yeah. and put it in his gluteal crease. 
in order to, in order to, he got chafed so bad, his buttocks, <laughs> that he couldn't move and took his sandwich apart and stuck a bologna slice. <laughs> For those that are, are just listening, Steve is rubbing his hands together as to, <laughs> as to mimic the gluteal crease. Yes, to, to mimic the actions of your, your, your buttocks rubbing. And he put a slice of bologna in there and walked out. Walked back to his truck. This guy writes in, he's a chef. And she, they use cornstarch, they, they use cornstarch, of course, in the commercial kitchen. But he also keeps a box of cornstarch in the bathroom. He's, uh, apparently he's a healthy-sized fella, and while he's cooking, <laughs> he, cooks so, he, he cooks with such gusto that he gets chafed while cooking. And when it happens, he will go in and use his cornstarch, which he says is a great cure, and he uses cornstarch to treat his nether regions yeah. and alleviate his chafing. And he, they, he, ta- he tells a humorous story about a new feller coming into work, and he goes to thicken a sauce and knows that he's thickening with cornstarch and goes into the bathroom and can't find the cornstarch. And you can see where that whole thing goes from there. But he says that... Um, he says, in closing, he's a good writer. He's like, in closing, don't be afraid to bring a little cornstarch with you in the field. It's odorless, easy to carry, and in a pinch, you can make a quick tempura batter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, something we've never done. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've never, never done. No. That's a new one. Okay, we got to talk about another thing, which we talked about before. This is like, this is the part where we just talk about stuff we already talked about. But we add a little tidbit. A little cornstarch. A little cornstarch. <laughs> Takes away the moisture. To the recipe. Yep. Yanni, can you, can, you, can you lay the groundwork on the... I, I want to talk about the Florida Panther thing. Because I feel like we, we talked about Florida Panthers, and I feel like we, 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 we created confusion. Well, that, well, we just misrepresented the uh, gladesmen, the hunters. Yeah, well, yeah. but lay the first bit. Like sure, what we're so they about. had a study in Florida. And, well, we had a correction. A guy that worked on the study wrote in and clarified all this for us. The problem is, is when we get this stuff, it's just so hard to go and then research the next, like, five levels that you need to. You know, we don't have all these people on hand that are just, you know, waiting to write an email before they even know we're going to talk about it. They sure write in after we talk about they it. They do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we use it for one of our, uh, we did a game called two lies and a truth where we were ma- telling stories on stage and people had to choose which one was the truth. And the truth that night was, um, that there was a study in Florida where they had collared 263 deer, roughly something yeah, like that. It was so. in South Florida. And they were just going to check on like what was affecting the population there from habitat to predators, um, what else were they looking for? Yeah, we can, yeah, various yeah. things, but one of the main things was, was mortality. So you, you get a death signal yeah. on your collar. Like it doesn't move for uh, typically I think it's 48 hours or some amount of time an animal yeah. doesn't move. Then you rush out to, to try to ascertain what figure went down. Who, yeah, figure out who done it. And um, so out of 263, how many were killed now? Like most of them, right? Over four years, it ended up being like 240 were killed or something like that. Um, I'm going to butcher the numbers now, but mostly the, the, the highest, the best predator was, uh, the panther, yeah, the cougar, the, the Florida panther. I think they killed 150. 
something like that. Yeah, Bobcats got like five. Um, who who else was the Bear, a big got Bear got Bear one. Bear got one. Humans only got one, and they were even told that they could shoot these collared uh, bucks. And even like the the website page that I was reading even had a picture of a nice buck with a collar on it. And they're like, "Please shoot these guys if you see them." Because it needs to be part of the data set. Yeah, right? what they were, they were trying to say to people was, like, ignore the collar. So if, if you wouldn't shoot it, but it has a collar, don't. If you would shoot it, but it has a collar, do. So yeah. they're saying, like, forget the collars. Exactly. Which is tricky because I wouldn't want to shoot a deer with a collar. Because it would seem not mysterious to me. <laughs> It'd be like someone else was, it was like, you know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You see what I was You see what I was going to say? Um, it's inappropriate for a nine-year-old. Yeah, it would be yes. like if you were to, and then found out someone else had. Um, <laughs> but we talked about this at length once, and then someone also. This is a side note, but someone brought up like. Oh, I'm not doing anything to that thing. No, you're not. It's back on. Oh. Anyway, a Florida man. Oh, no, but real quick. Yeah, Florida man. A Florida man. But real quick. Shot a deer. Why is it cool? Like, I wouldn't want to shoot someone with a, with a collar. Yeah. But why is it cool to shoot a duck with a band? It's just different. Way then different. people get all excited and make necklaces out of it. You don't see a dude with a necklace of a giant radio collar. <laughs> like, like a Run DMC necklace with a... I'm switching to handheld, man. Why'd my mic go bad? Oh. Oh, no. Oh, we're getting so, to that. Yeah, we're, so what happened you is... Didn't, you didn't gather that we're going to take a meandering approach to this? <laughs> we only got another two hours. So, so what we didn't know was that in the study area, there was, I think, three different uh, regions and units and... One of them um, had no hunting at all. One of them was like a walk-in only area. And then one I think you could access through ATV. So um, that took a lot of hunters out of the equation. Then it was a, a bunch of the area was buck only. And like two-thirds of the 263 deer were uh, females, were does that were collared. So all of a sudden you bring the number of like possible deer to shoot way down. So really the, the, there's a fraction and of And an those, antler restriction. Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, okay. So out of 263 deer, it was a fraction, you know, that were available for hunters to actually shoot. So, and I called them the lowly Florida hunter because we were just thinking, man, how did like the panther just out hunt you that bad? But, <laughs> and the, and the, the writer was like, kind of prefaced the whole, the guy that wrote in, prefaced the whole thing being like, kind of sticking up for his tribe. Yes. It's like, it's not Florida. Florida hunters are cold-blooded killers. Don't you make no mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, given the opportunity, they would have got it done. That's right. He, what, I, what he finished with, though, that I thought was really interesting is how he said that um, that zone, which none of us, I think, from where we live, consider like that you'd have sort of contentious wildlife issues in Florida, right? Like, I don't know. I just have an idea of Florida that's not that. But... He just said, like, imagine if L.A. was in the middle of Idaho. He's like, there, it's Naples and then what's like a big city, Miami on, on the other coast, right? And then you just got this crazy wildlife corridor in the middle. And so when you have, like, a management meeting and the public's invited, you can just imagine, man, it's like every single character 
of the United States is, you know, different kinds of minds that are, are showing up there to give their opinions. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's a it, for, for, he called it, it wolf country. Life, yeah, it's a fight in state when it comes to wildlife because they had the they had their they won their bear season back and then lost their bear season. People fight over critters in Florida. Welcome to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> but what did our uh, Path of the Puma guys say though? Like to out hunt a cat, you better be doing some serious hunting. I mean, that's a deer every four days, right? Yeah, deer Can week be. or so. Yeah, yeah. A, about a deer every week, and you got 250, you got about 250 lions in Florida. It's a small population. But people, too, just the way people work, uh, a, a lot of people, I think, over-ascribe, you know what I mean? Like, like people don't want to have any competition. So I think that some people hear, some people know that there's mountain lions out there, and they'll blame... They're not like damn cars kill all the deer, which kill a hell of a lot more deer in Florida than mountain lions. But you, you kind of like pick the thing that seems most like you to hate. So I think that, that people have a feeling that they do more damage than perhaps they do. But then this study really kind of throws that off because this study, they're just steadily whittling away at these things. Someone brought up this idea, and, and they wrote in about another piece of work that got done, where... There, there was some, I don't know the details on it. I'm sure we'll hear about it. But someone in, in some biologists, I believe working in Africa, were looking at when you do a collaring study that you're kind of throwing it off because they argue, this person that was writing in argues, that an animal that's wearing a collar is actually more likely to be killed by predators, more likely than his herd mates to be killed by predators. Giannis has a... He has a feeling why this is. Yeah, I interpret it as, I think he's, he put this in the email, is that the, the, one of the best defenses that herd animals have is that when they are attacked, they're allowed to move as, as a mass and sort of distract the predator that's coming in there. And the predator can't, it's harder for the predator to isolate one single animal because they all kind of look the same, they're moving the same. But when, in his study that he was referencing, I think that they had painted the horns pink or red. Yeah. And he was saying that he thought that because they were losing animals very quickly in their study and he just felt like the predators were able to get in there and go, oh, if I just keep chasing that one with the pink horns, eventually that one's going to get tired. Yeah. It's easy for me to stay on track. So you're saying if you were like a smart wildebeest, you might go and like put a sticker on your bro and run beside him during, when the lion's coming around, <laughs> put a little glitter on him or something like that, exactly. line him out. My interpretation, not my interpretation, but I think an idea that I would like to add on that I can't tell you is right or wrong, but it feels right to me, would be that they might also see it and register it as, not just that they can keep a track of it amid the confusion, register it as different, perhaps wounded. Mm, a pointing out, yeah, yeah. Pointing out that, that this guy took offense to the idea that when you put a collar on them, you make them more likely to get killed even though he wasn't really able to totally back it up. Uh, a poaching thing I want to talk about real quick. This guy had the most genius idea of any poacher I ever heard. He poaches a buck out of season, or gets an extra buck, and then decides to freeze the whole damn thing to check it in next season. Yeah, buddy. But gets caught. Did, did it say how he got caught? Does it say, I, can't, I can't find out how he got caught. 
It was a 20, yeah, it was a freezer burn. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 20, like a, you know, it's like, this is like a real, Mich- like a Michigan style. It's a 20 point, 20 point buck. What type of freezer are we talking about? I don't know. I don't know. I'm Do telling you, like, you about, curl it up? Yeah, does it just lie, like bedded down in this freezer for a year? How come no one's asking me how old he is? How old the, the buck he's, is? He's, no, the man is 56. You guys just ask me parts I don't know. No one's saying, <laughs> no one's like, uh, what was his last name? Well, Bill. What street did he live on? What county did he live in? Debut. Don't know the caliber. Freezes the thing. How many points was it? Well, yeah, but you got to understand in the Midwest. I'm just starting with this is This is Indiana. When, when, when we were a little kid, if, if a TV host named Fred Trost could hang his wedding ring on a point, that was a point. That is it. That's the That's definition. why in Michigan, you'd be like, did you hear Billy shot a 13-pointer? And then you see the buckets like, you know, like your hand, right? The size of that. But it'd be like any little protuberance it is, it, it is a count. So they're calling it, but it, but it does. It's a, it, a 200-inch whitetail. Whoa. So here, here's a funny thing where it ties into something we've been talking about lately. We've been talking about ways in which you get in trouble for killing stuff. So this guy gets 100 hours of community service, 540 days of probation, and a $741 in fine and court costs. And then he has a paltry replacement fee of 500 bucks, which is where the state puts a value. This is just the portion where the state says that deer is worth 500 bucks to the people of the state. Like what we have, you know, what we have invested in the animal, its value is 500 bucks or 500 bucks. One state over in Ohio. So that buck must have been orphaned. Like no, there's no game manager, manager watching over him, nothing. He was just kicked to the curb, that buck. Because they didn't have any money into him. Yeah, 500 bucks. A one-year-old 200-inch buck. No, like, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, <laughs> he's saying something totally different. He was saying, like, why is it valued so low? Right. Because in Ohio, the replacement fee on this buck would be, Giannis knows what it is. He did the math. 16500 That's Ohio's That's replacement Ohio. fee. Indiana's replacement fee is 500 bucks. Indiana's got a lot going on. They're busy. They're bu- <laughs> they got a lot. They're churning out so many 200-inch bucks. <laughs> They, they drove the value down. Oh, the, another guy froze a 200-inch buck? Ah, that's 500 bucks. We're fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. Hey, guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand... One of my main turkey hunting buddies. He loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just 
have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Do you do you remember talking about uh, I was really surprised and, and pleased about a particular snake that I heard had a, a barbed pecker? Remember this? This was one of the two, two of them, right? Yeah, well, peckers. no, he was a du- double peckers, double not yes. barb. Uh, there was a snake, and then a, uh, a snake guy was explaining that virtually all snakes have two peckers. Someone w- was explaining to me something interesting about ducks, where he's saying most ducks only have a cloaca, which is like a uni hole, right? Like all <laughs> comings and goings happen in and out of these male-female holes that you line up. 3% of birds have penises. Ducks have penises. Some of them are corkscrewed and maybe barbed, and a duck's can be longer than the duck itself. Eight to 17 inches. Now, I'm not gonna like add a lot to this. I got but nothing to add to that. There was a dirty limerick. There was a dirty limerick I knew as a child that had to do <laughs> with that had to do with an anatomy part that was threaded, yeah. and it was and someone had to search high and low to find a compatible partner. Then they found one that they thought was compatible with what wanted being a left-handed thread. <laughs> so it's a, in the way of dirty it was just an old dirty limit again for the listeners who are who can't see us steve is making a corkscrew motion with his finger a corkscrew motion to, in to a explain, non-sexual way to explain this fact of of duck anatomy yep um jumping into something i wanted to talk about freezing crab what is uh you have experience with blue crabs Giannis. i do can you can you walk through uh crab freezing for a fellow that rode in yeah, I can, but through my father-in-law. Because I personally haven't frozen the crabs myself, but I know how he did it because I hooked him up with a uh, New Weston uh, bag sealer. And so he, the, at first, the uh, crabs were punching through the bags. They have pointy little edges all over them. So he likes to clean them first. He likes to clean out the lungs and the, the guts and sprays them all out so nice, pretty, clean crabs. But it still looks like a crab. He hasn't totally. cut it in half. No, 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 yeah. And so he, just, he started putting parchment paper, I believe, in there on, on the top and bottom. That gave it an, just enough, it would flatten out the, the spiny parts and the bumps to not break the seal. Sorry? Paper plates. Paper plates. That's a good idea. Paper plates. Um, well, and so then we over. ate them over the holidays. So they were frozen, you know, midsummer probably. And then we ate them over uh, Christmas and uh, they were fine. They tasted just like fresh grass. Does he, you guys don't, you guys don't boil them first? No. Not at oh. all? No, they were not, not, not pre-boiled. I wonder why, like, because, like, my trainings in crab have always been when you're going to, to freeze crab, you always boil it. Like, Dungeness, 10 minutes, very salty water, then freeze. Only freeze the knuckles. And then, or we pick it and vac bag it, but then someone recently turned me on to picking it, and this is like, like sportsmen, sportswomen, everyone's always trying to do stuff in milk, soaking fillets and milk, this and that and milk, but pick the Dungeness crab meat, put it in a jar, 
in milk and freeze it. And I did. And I let and? that thing sit there for a calendar year. I don't know why I threw in the word calendar. <laughs> Picture you always calendar. do that. Yeah. You're like, not just any year, brother. <laughs> this is a calendar year. Um, froze it for a whole year, and it was good. It wasn't like brand new crab, but it was good. Frozen that way. Buttermilk. Buttermilk. Oh, Row 5's got his hand up again. <laughs> Listen, Row 5. Row five. 5. He's like, half and half. You're going <laughs> to... <laughs> You're gonna pop your shoulder blade out, man. Just calm, calm down. I feel bad. I gotta make an admission here. I'm from Maryland, the blue crab state. And I never froze crab in my life. My yeah. early, you say crab training. My crab training was to pick them and eat them and get drunk. It was the only training I ever had. No. And if somebody would say, there's no needing to get a freezer involved. It would have been shameful to get a freezer involved in that situation. Except but, you for know, to make but the beer cold quicker. Service, but we have a service to, to, to reply to the... I, I can't tell the man... No, you can tell him that. He wants to, he wants to freeze him. Tell listen, him to Ben, drink more you're beer an old man and your there. grandfather, and you want to spoil your grandchildren that yeah. love to eat crabs, and they only come a couple times a year, oh. you will catch They're not old s- enough to drink beer. <laughs> yes. I like how there was zero division on the pick crab, drink beer. Not no, everybody's like, yeah. wait a minute. You drink, beer you, freeze a crab. you drink beer when you're going to pick up the crabs at the place. You drink beer on the way back and while you're picking them. It's yeah. all the same. Yeah. It's methodology. So you're saying it's cool. You're saying it's like really bad if you're from Maryland to do this. We freeze them. I got no problem freezing them. I think it might have to be with how successful of a trapper you are. That's true. Because if you can only get like onesies, twosies. <laughs> if you're like stacking them up uh no, another freeze question and Giannis feels like we've answered this a bunch but it comes up maybe this will be the last time but but can you freeze thaw and then freeze meat yes yes you can i yes, say yes can. but you can't freeze thaw freeze thaw freeze freeze thaw <laughs> no, I, i'm kidding yeah, I think you can go to town with, with that whole business, and you're not going to... I bet we could Pepsi challenge the whole room. Nobody would tell us if, how There's many times the meat had been no. Can I take a... Can, 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 can you... What'd you just say? I said we could Pepsi yeah. challenge. That's interesting. That's interesting? Someone... I forgot about this. I stole that from you. Well, I know, but someone was like... A pe- like he was saying, when you're trying to test someone... Let's say someone has a weird thing where they think that, that something's better than something else. Like the case I was using, my brother used to have a girlfriend who thought it was gross to reheat coffee from the day before. Right. And then he was like, you can't tell. And she thought she could tell. And so he, he realized that what he thinks is she can detect the temperature differential between it coming off the coffee maker and it coming out of the microwave. So he took day-old coffee and new coffee and made them be exactly the same temperature at which point she couldn't pick it up. And someone was telling me, I even wrote this down somewhere because I've been wanting to mention it. He, there's a thing called triangle testing. Like, let's say you're telling me that you can tell a certain kind of beer, and I think there's no way you can pick that beer out of a crowd. Triangle testing is when you do two of A and one of B, and then the person has to come in, and this is how they just professionally do this. The person has to come in and pick out B. 
So you put out three, two are the same, like, tell me which one's different. Because that way you're eliminating it from being a 50% chance that they're going to get it right. Right. So Pepsi challenge, go ahead. Because that's what I usually think is the best way to do it. So let's just say that we had uh, two pieces of meat that had been frozen, thawed, frozen, thawed, and then one piece of meat that had been uh, frozen, thawed. I just don't think anybody in the room could pick it out. Yeah, I think the word that the, the resistance to freeze, thaw, freeze comes from, which is inherently freeze, thaw, freeze, thaw, unless you're eating it frozen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from like food, it comes from restaurant people who are kind of like, you know, the word Nazi gets abused these days, but like restaurant people are like the, the, the food safety Nazis, right? Yeah. And so I think that they have all these like best practices and if you got health inspectors and on and on and on, but I've been doing it my whole damn life. Yeah. I'm still sitting Probably here. not following the rules of a... Uh restaurant no not at all but the reason where i use freeze thaw freeze with game meat and and i know you guys do oh yeah is you bone something out and it's like you're in a hurry or wherever you're traveling or don't have time and you bone something out and put it in gallon size ziploc bags and kind of take a sharpie and sort of write on there what you think is in the bag and then you later thaw that bag out sort it out wonder what idiot buddy of yours wrote what was written on the bag because it doesn't match up to what you feel has come out of the bag. Sort it all out, clean it all up, get it in recipe-ready pieces, then I refreeze it, then I thaw it and eat it. I do that all the time, just for time's sake. You don't want to, if you come in, you drop a deer off and you're going to do something else, you're not just going to let it sit. If you're going to dry age it or you're going to age it somehow, maybe, but freeze it all the time and, and thaw it and freeze it again and thaw it and freeze it again. Not and then you deal. spend your whole life with people telling you you can't do that. Yeah, these people out here yelling, no! <laughs> now, because of the mislabeling down. thing, I just started keeping a hand grinder in the kitchen because <laughs> I had so many instances being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have steak. I'm going to have... And I open it up, and it finally thaws out, and I'm like, oh, boy. Going to have a burger tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think in our case, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because they're not our idiot friends, but they just have less experience looking at me and then writing down what it is. But it's, uh, it's the camera guys. Camera, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When I, get, when I hit a mislabeled bag, I don't think it's you. <laughs> I think it's other people. I got a question about that. Come on, okay. Oh. Do you understand? Do you understand? Yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's asking that like as the preparer, the the cook, the chef, however you want to put it. Like when you're working with that piece of meat, do you notice a difference, or does the person that's just putting it in, in their mouth and chewing on it notice a difference? If it's been freeze frozen and thawed, or frozen and thawed multiple times, I know it because it lets off a lot more water. But um, no, and you know what that would be? That's double blind. The taste, the, the, no, double blind is when the person administering the test doesn't know either. That's double blind. That's nothing to do with what that guy's asking. <laughs> the uh, answer is, go ahead, freeze, thaw, freeze. Thaw, freeze. freeze. Thaw. You're totally right. fine. Yes. Bear meat is delicious. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, so bear meat, trichinosis. Um, there are those who believe, there are those who believe that, and, and there's some, you know, there's some evidence that supports this, that freezing it sterilizes it, the right amount of freeze sterilizes it, and that now prolonged exposure at lower temps sterilizes it. We're going to do an article about this, which we'll have at TheMediaDeer.com when it's ready, and it would be that you could take, so it's like that it takes 165 to kill Trichinella spiralis or the various species of, of Trichinella larva, 165 kills it. But it might be that you could sous vide bear meat for eight hours or what, you know, a day at 140 and get it. So it might be possible with new technologies for future generations to eat raw, rare, no, not raw, to eat rare bear meat safely. But I hesitate to go and tell people to do stuff that I don't really know is right having been afflicted. Um, but yeah, there's some, there, it seems to be that. But then here's the deal too, is like, like trichinosis, we say trichinella spiralis is a very common form, but it seems that northern varieties might be more freezing, that might be more resistant to freezing. Northern varieties of the trichinella, what have you, can handle that more. Because I believe there have been cases where people have contracted it from meat that had been frozen for a long time. And so southern varieties, it could kill them from freezing. There are northern varieties that can't, so it gets a little bit tricky. So I don't know if we're going to be eating rare bear meat anytime soon, but I think it's on the horizon. There's hope. There's hope. I want to revisit a thing we talked about a bunch, which is the saga of Steve Kendrott's busted deer antler. Because I've told the story so many times... I would like someone else to tell the story, and then I'll tell the at why I've now changed my mind about it. Cal, you were there. Just tell the story, Cal. Yeah, so the, the quick and dirty on the story is you have this two guys that uh, are buddies. One guy shoots a nice uh, deer stag. Um, it's got a broken tine. Right. His... Buddy, um, that same season, shoots a seek-a-deer stag um, that upon caping the stag, he finds a tine embedded in the deer's neck. I believe, yes, correct. Out of curiosity, he takes that tine and is able to match it to Steve Kendrott's seek-a-deer stag, and it is a perfect match. Yes. That and is the story. That's the story. And then we came into it and berated the man on this show. <laughs> the man kept the tine. So Steve's got the, the, the deer that, owned, that once owned the tine, and the man keeps the tine that belongs to Steve's deer. Yeah, and they were happy. They were happy. They yeah. were friends. Yeah, they were like going on through life, and then we had to come in and stir the pot. And we, I thought that was an offensive idea, and I thought that Steve should get his time back. And we berated the man so much that he sends Steve the time. But now, I feel like I was wrong. Cause, because... This is all about guilt, is what you're saying. This is all guilt. All like, guilt. he... 
caught wind that these people are talking about how bad he is that he didn't and then sends them the damn time but then someone was like it used to be that two people had a cool story and two people could have guests come to their home they could point at a shelf and say see that and then tell about it but now only one guy has a cool story why only one because the other guy don't even have the damn time. Yeah, no conversation starter. No one's going to be like, hey, what's that all about? And you go, oh, I'll tell you what that's all about. But now only one guy's got a good story. But a guy wrote in about something that was interesting. So he's at a party. And a guy, he says, one of the guests at the party starts some, and he uses quotes, he starts some quote shit at the party. And his cousin, who's the host of the party, goes to calm the situation down. And the man who started the problem... Uh, punches him right in the face real hard. Knocks him out. He leaves. The next morning, the guy, the guy that got punched, he's hung over, but he wakes up and realizes he no longer has his tooth. And they go and scour all around the yard and can't find the tooth. A week later, everyone gets word that the man who punched him is sick and in the hospital. They eventually find out that he's got some sort of infection. And it turns out that this tooth is buried in this man's hand, causing a nasty infection, makes him sick. And he pointed out that no one ever called him and gave him his tooth back. (laughs) (laughs) So he thinks that if that's how it goes with humans, so it should go with deer and deer hunters. On a related note, a person had this experience. His, brother, he, his brother-in-law gets a new bow. You know this story. His brother-in-law gets a new bow, and they go out in the rain, and he's going to, like, shoot the bow. And I want to get this right, how he does this. The string slips out of his grip because it's a wet string and smacks his hand, and he doesn't think anything of it. But he has a lot of problems with his hand after that. Five years later, he's sitting in a hot tub, And out of his hand comes the knocking point, (laughs) which he carried around. Not the knock of of the arrow, but the little little point that's on like a traditional bow where you would put the knock of the arrow onto the string just underneath it that holds it there. Yeah, the little metal ferrule that you pinch onto a string, he unknowingly carried it in his hand for five years. And then it popped out. And he sent me a picture of both his hand and the thing. So I believe him. You guys, uh... Do we oh, believe is, about the hot tub? He might have been making that up for effect. Yeah, he might have been doing something weird. So I was in a hot tub with, like, six chicks. So yeah, I was in a hot tub with a bunch of ladies. Has <laughs> anybody got a birthday tonight? No one today? Nobody? Right here. Oh, there you go. Good. We'll get, we'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guided a dude, um, and his bow blew up on him. He was letting down. Called this bull in. I told him, don't shoot it. Because I felt very strongly that we were going to get on this real big bull. And as he was letting his bow down, it explodes. No idea why. Um, The string smashes his left hand that he's supporting the bow with. And for 
at least a month, the guy would send me pictures of what looked like a perfect tattoo of the bowstring and the D loop <laughs> on the web of his left hand. So I could see how that uh, knock point would get embedded. Have a little bit of energy to get in there. Has anybody got a birthday tomorrow? Yeah, they got a lot of life left, though. Yeah, but we don't. Yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. I don't like to reward. I don't like to reward youth. Uh, I like to find people in the autumn of their existence and, and try to make and try to lavish the enjoyment on them. Oh, the okay. A couple of different questions. One, you guys have a new Oregon finally has a new established roadkill law. That, that's something I've really failed to understand at all is how some states would have it be that you, it seems to me like a God-given right that if you were to run something over, that like you're driving your car and you run something over, that, that, there, that there could be the possibility yes. of an argument that you should not be able to eat that thing. And the Lord said it shall be delicious. It's just it's like... It's like, oh, no, 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 no. We know you'd like to go home and, and, and utilize it and eat it, but it's very important to us that you let it bloat on the side of the road. <laughs> uh, in, 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 a, in a track flies and smell bad. It's, it's, it's important to us that that's what happens to that deer. Uh, I have, as a conscientious objector, I have violated roadkill laws many times and almost, almost did the other day. But it happened to be that the dead deer was in my yard, and I felt like I would be a suspect. <laughs> uh, and he had been hit real good. But so Oregon has a new thing where you can go, and if people can file and get a permit for roadkill. And so since January, they have, I think since about a week ago, um, you guys' state has issued 167 permits for deer and elk. So that's pretty nice. We had uh, roadkill sandwiches the other day. You were eating roadkill sandwiches? Yeah, old uh, Dirt Myth, Dirt's dad, Pop Dirt, he uh, smacked. You guys know him, right? Saw somebody else smack a deer right next to their house, and uh, so he scooped it up. Apparently it was tougher than hell, um, and uh, they pressure cooked it. And uh, that's, that's what we ate when we were ice fishing the other day. He's a, th he's a thrifty dude. Thrifty dude. We would usually limit, like, we would usually limit picking up deer to that someone, you saw someone hit it, or you, like, are running somewhere real quick, and then you run there real quick, and there's no dead deer, and then you're running back, and there is, and you do all the math in your head, and you realize. Are you, are you on foot at this point? No, no, no okay. it'd be dry, yeah, dry. Be I mean, like, you, like, you're like, like, I you're... went to my buddies, and then an hour later, was, was you know, like... and then you, you figure out that that's what went on. We had, we had interesting stories from two people who were talking about, like, rules governing roadkill, and, and they're kind of related. I didn't catch one of these guys, the state one of these guys is from, but a motorist in front of a gentleman hits a deer. The deer's still alive in the road. That motorist gets out and drags the still living deer 
out of the road and departs. This guy happens to have a concealed carry permit. He calls the police and says, I have a deer here that a guy in front of me hit. It's still alive. I have a pistol with me. Um, I would like to keep the deer and I would like to be able to shoot the deer because it's still alive. And they say, you cannot shoot that deer. We will have an officer out in 30 minutes. So rather than, he, so he goes out and strangles the deer. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to break the law. What about the next logical step is that? If you can't shoot it, strangle it. But that's where it's funny. So then an officer shows up and, ex and he says, well, here's what happened. And the officer explains that he sure is glad that he strangled it because they sure as hell wouldn't want to shoot it. <laughs> A guy from Texas wrote in about this where he comes across an accident where a deer's been hit. And there's an officer there observing the wounded deer. He gets out and the officer explains that she does not feel right shooting the deer and would he? Hands him the service pistol. <laughs> yeah. He wrote in about how Whoa. strange he thought this was. He shoots twice in the air. <laughs> Pop. Hands him the service pistol, which he uses to dispatch the deer. One thing leads to another, and eventually he has it tucked into his pants. <laughs> That's, you can't yada yada that. No. As they're messing around, and it gets to a part of the interaction where he pulls the pistol out of his waistband and hands it back to the officer and then goes about his business with his deer. That's awful gangster, that guy. It's, it's like very, very gangster. Yeah, I mean, you know my little sister's a cop, right? Like, I do. I don't think that's uh, part of the gig. I, I don't think they cover that in school. Well, it's Texas, Cal. Well, what was, we talked recently on another show, we talked about uh, what the most valuable thing you learned, like what's the most valuable thing you learned from your father? And I remember you were looking for a little clarity as we discussed this, and you meant like in life in general or like hunting, fishing, outdoor yeah. type things. And, and, and there's, a, there's a miss there because we should have talked about as well, like what would be the most valuable thing you learned from your mother? But I think that guys get so, like the whole father-son thing really can kind of take a person over. But what was the most valuable thing you learned from your mom? Hunting, fishing, outdoors, cooking, you know. Yana, are you taking this one? You had to throw the cooking in there. Is I it helpful? Learned, Is I it helpful or not helpful? I just vacuum really from my mother. You know, that's all she did. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Oh, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> well, with dads, you're like, yeah, hunting, fishing. And then mom is like, hunting, fishing, cooking. So I just went a step farther and said, vacuuming. Oh, yeah, but the deal is, there's like a reality to it that all the guys, like, and, and you, it's hard to unpack. You can't unpack all the nurture nature things. It, it just gets really complicated. But it's just a, a reality that at a time, you know, all the all the guys in my family participated in some way in, in our immediate area. Like all the guys yeah. participated to some extent 
in hunting and fishing, and it just so happens that virtually none of the women in my family did, not because, I don't think because of native proclivity, but just because of, you create like a cultural inertia. Yeah. And your mom did most of the wild game cooking, right? Other than If it frying. wasn't deep fried, my mom cooked it. Right. And my dad deep fried everything, but he kept the deep fryer in the garage. So like made it almost more like, it was almost more like mechanicing, you know? You had to like go to the damn, <laughs> like you had to go to the garage to cook it. So he had made it his own, right? Yep. Let's be clear. My dad vacuumed the hell out of the the rug. Like he was a good vacuumer. Your dad vacuumed. Oh up. yeah, dude, I vac time. up every night, man. Oh, woo! <laughs> Vacuum everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. My mom would always tell me, like, you know, wash your hands, eat your vegetables, stuff like that. So that was key. But beyond that, um, it, same as you, my mom never, never hunted, never. Uh, she encouraged me to hunt. Oh, I don't know. You never met my mom. <laughs> Calm down. Oh, I feel like doing a I feel like doing a year mod joke, but I'm not yeah, your, your mom was not encouraging. Uh, encouragement, that would be a good one. I'll give that to you. But my mom was accepting, not only accepting of the things that we did, but passionate about our passion, right? So there's a way to inject, you know, it, it'll be like this with my wife as well. There's a way to inject. Uh, energy into something that you aren't passionate about by accepting it, promoting it, and understanding that, you know, all our wives, all our moms understand that it's something that we are driven by, and they put no, no blockades in front of us, no barriers in front of us. They, ta- they help us push them down, right? So that's what my mom did for me. Just, although she wasn't out there like my dad was, she was pushing down every barrier I had to go out and hunt. Everything she could do for me to make sure I was prepared to go, everything she could do to make sure it was cooked when I got back. She was always pushing down those barriers to, to help us go outside. So I appreciate that. That's good. Yeah. My mom, um, my mom was pretty thrifty and the early hunting clothes that we had, my mom would buy wool and sew us wool suits to wear out hunting. She, they had a garden, and she would uh, can. So we had a canning room full of all the glass jars lined up. She would can deer meat in the jars. If we, when we had brought home squirrels, she would help us get all the squirrels parted out. And then she would cram them in a crock pot and pour in cream of mushroom soup and cook them for us. She would roast ducks for us. She would, on rainy, cold days, she would drive us around to check our muskrat traps in her car. And it was all of this kind of like, it, was, it wasn't glamorous, but it was all this like really supportive stuff where she recognized there was value in it. But to get a sense of, of so, so I'm 45. My dad was 50 when he had me. He was born in 1924. She was quite a bit younger than him. But there were, there was like a different time. And to get a sense of how, how dudes interacted, like, like how men interacted with women, or my father interacted with my mother, would be that my mother would go and, like an anecdote that explains sort of that relationship and how it pertains. My mother would, on Thanksgiving would like get a turkey, not, not shoot a turkey, but we would always cook a store-bought turkey on Thanksgiving. So the, they're frozen in this big damn plastic bag, you know, and she would thaw the thing out in a tub of water, She'd get the, or the giblets out 
and boil the giblets and make all the stuff, season the bird, stuff the bird, roast the bird, do everything that's all the work. Guys all day would do nothing to help. And then it would be done, and my dad would make this big show of carving the bird. <laughs> and it'd be like, now, now, uh, little miss. We all know where your talent's in. Uh, did you see I, me ever see me do this? Yeah, I, I will uh, cut its leg off because that, that's beyond you. And, like, she would just allow this kind of stuff to happen. That's a perfect analogy for, like, how we think about our dads and our moms when it comes to hunting or anything outside, really. You know, and traditionally, it's true that we don't give them credit. You know, we build our fathers up as these great figures, and we I talk, talk yeah, about them I all the time. I talk about my dad all the time, yeah. like, taking you out. But then you think, Palmit, your mom, like, my mom would buy and stitch us wool hunting clothes, and she doesn't get to make it into a story? <laughs> Sorry, moms. I, gotta, I know. Love you, it's man. It's a rough road, man. I got to tell you, I, uh, I grew up a little different. <laughs> we know, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell Cal for his mic. Why, why does that oh, sound past tensey? <laughs> oh, let me see your thing. Huh? Thanks, oh, hanging. You're going to hang and oh. think. Oh, look at this. Thanks, Dad. Nice. Fry, yeah. Oh. Friends help. I think you sound all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> This is still the same. Here, here, here. Hello, my friends. Hello. All right. So, my go. mom would be out, like, crawling around on her hands and knees catching grasshoppers so we could go fish. Um, and fanatical fisherwoman. She super obsessive about fishing. Uh, her mom, my grandma, is the exact same way. Um, grandma never threw a fish back in the river in her entire life. Uh, <laughs> encouragement from that lady, like you wouldn't believe. I have a picture. She uh, wanted to learn how to fly fish at 89 years old. She called me up and was like, you need to drive up here and teach me how to fly fish. And I said, yeah, no problem. I'll be up, you know, in July. She said, Ryan, I'm 89. You got to come up here this weekend. <laughs> Which was an eight-hour drive, but I did it. And she had an oxygen tank on her back, <laughs> and she had it turned off. This woman's got one lung. Uh, so she could preserve her oxygen so she could prolong her fishing. Uh, I was holding on to... <laughs> I, I was like, well, you got to cast a little bit further. You got to cast a little bit further. And she waded into the river and I had to grab her by basically her pants and her underwear, which was not the most comfortable thing for the grandson. <laughs> Um, to prevent her from falling into the river. And uh, I caught uh, one big fish that day. And uh, I have this great picture that I think my mom got as I released this big brown trout into the river. Her face was like torture, and her hands were out like this, and she's going, no! Uh, so those women... Uh, were absolutely vital in my uh, enjoyment of the outdoors. 
lots of encouragement. And some of my absolute first outdoor memories were because of those two gals. Yanni, you you have to have a good one, Yanni, because you're least tolerant of your ma jokes. Oh, I got I got lots to bring to the table for this one. Um, and to be clear, I hope nobody takes that damn. I was making a joke on a bad joke about the vacuum, so please. <laughs> yeah, you were you doing. You know me. You all. I think you say you tell me that you know me better than that, than the reaction I got there on that one. So you were like joke I you make. were uh, parodying. Thank you. You you were parodying. Uh, Tucker Carlson impression. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> Got to keep up on your current events. Go yeah. ahead. What's, tell, tell us about your mom. He's a, um, he's, he's a hunter and angler. Is he? Yeah. Well, he's got to have a lot more time to do that. Um, <laughs> I once, what's interesting, because I, I went to an event, I went to an event one time, a TRCP event, and the MCs, who are friends, surprisingly, that it was emceed by Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow, who are friends and both like the fish. Nah, I'm not joking. Go ahead, Yanni. Segway right to Yanni's mom. <laughs> oh, no. um, this is a tough one, because you know how much I love my ma. I don't call, I don't call her mom. If you do a year though. ma joke to Yanni, I, I one time did a year ma joke <laughs> to Yanni, and he told me the next time I did that, I was going to see a blinding flash of silver. <laughs> that, from his power ring and that'd be the last thing i ever saw yeah. not, not ever just for the yeah at that moment it would go black after that um when it comes to i'll make it brief when it comes to hunting and fishing i, I really can't remember a- anything that she specifically would have taught me that would relate to the outdoors i mean she, certainly she encouraged us and she took us to boy scouts and whatnot but Earlier when we were hanging out, um, before the big crowd got here, um, somebody asked us about uh, like what we learned from our, our, our dads. Was that what the question was? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we so wrestled, I was saying about how my dad at times it felt like he worked as like little uh, child slaves. And, but from that, I got a good work ethic out of the deal, right? Well, I think my mom was like definitely the, the yin to that yang where she didn't really like hammer on us that at all, but she just like, whatever we did, no matter how bad we were, and we were bad at times, like really, really bad, like drove her batty and and, and to tears often, I think, but she always accepted us and always loved us. And I think over the years, it just taught, she, the biggest thing that she taught me is to always just like, to love, like no matter how bad someone can be or do something wrong, it's just to always like, just be like, that's, it's fine and just continue to love and try to, you know, keep your heart open, not get down on people. Yeah. What's that got to do with hunting and fishing? What does it have to do with hunting and fishing? Keep your heart open, Cal. Keep your heart open. You'll oh, find yeah. out if you keep your heart open. Giannis is, is headed down in two or three days. He's driving down for his mother's surprise birthday party. Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Is she going to listen to this, you think? Don't tell me. Like, you know, uh, there's a thing I wanted to, like a long air we've made where, you know, we're always talking about writers. And someone was, he, he's written it a couple times about this, where he's saying that we do Patrick McManus a great Woo! disservice by not celebrating Patrick McManus. 
another person wrote in where he was observing how we use, we meaning the people on this year program, will use sometimes creek and sometimes crick. Now, I want to combine these two things because Patrick McManus has the, the best working definition of what the difference between a creek and a crick is. He observed that if you can find a spare tire in it somewhere, <laughs> it's a crick. It's a crick. In the absence of tires, <laughs> it becomes a creek, which I feel works well. So there, we've taken care of the Patrick McManus problem, and I've explained how you can tell a crick from a creek. There's a question that that we've wrestled with before. And I want to get to it once. Is uh, how do you get rid of a hunting or fishing partner, and <laughs> how do you do it? When do you do it? And have you done it? And he points someone that the reason I bumped this question up in the list is because I was reading something from someone who got kind of screwed real bad, where they had. There's a group of guys, and they got some little uh, public land hidey holes for ducks that they like to hunt um, that, that aren't really well known. And they got some private land spots they like to hunt. And they, got, they took a buddy of theirs out, and not only did the buddy then wound up guiding on those spots, but uses pictures from the day they took him to those spots on his website. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes... He still wants to hunt with us. Should we let him? <laughs> but have you, yeah, how do you, like, have you ever had to go through the awkward, an awkward breakup? An awkward hunting and fishing breakup? No, no. It's not you, it's me kind of thing. Yeah, no, however you want to do it. definitely you. No, I've never had to. I've always had pretty, you know, pretty good relationships with hunting partners. You never had to end one? Never one. I've had some people that were, I, I thought were dicks that I never would have partnered up with. It's <laughs> generally avoided. Like it from the get-go. From the get-go. Yeah. yeah. You got to be a good judge of character, I imagine. I got nothing, man. I've solved this through a couple of long walks. Um, <laughs> and then there's just no more asking. They call that a disciplinary hike. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, there's been a, a couple of, uh, just real straightforward, like, listen, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I can think of, I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want to, because none of them are dead. Um, <laughs> but I've never done, like, I've never had, I, I've never, I've never been in a situation where you like really, where you, it had to be articulated. Meaning that if it if it wasn't a good match, if the compatibility was bad, it would just you could. I think that both parties would feel it. I've never had where I'm like, man, I will never go somewhere with this guy again, and then had him still want to go somewhere. Like I think that that I'm maybe I'm not transparent about it. But I've had it, and we would even talk about We would even have a word for it where me and my main crew, we would say that someone had been OTC'd. 
meaning they were out of the club. And it just, people would get OTC, but you would never like notify someone. You just would stop inviting them. I thought maybe you threw them over a counter or something. No, not over the counter. <laughs> well, this the club. All college days though, right? It's like big mixing pot of folks and you know, you're at a party and everybody's like, oh, I like to hunt, I like to hunt. And I had a couple of ones there. It was like, well, hey, I didn't get the call. I'm like, yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> you're always late. You never pay for gas. <laughs> you have no spots. You are out of the club. <laughs> but the fellow that rode in, I mean, he's very clear, just like, no way. Like, yeah, that, yeah, that feels, no, that feels bad, man. That feels egregious. The, the times when I've, when I've broken up with someone, it would become, it would be where there, where, where there came to be a, like an incongruity or, or like, like a lack of consistency about how open I was being with where we're going and then whether or not that would be like reciprocated where I would be like, I would go, like, I'll take you to go check out this spot and then you'd be like, hey, you know how you guys were getting into some, you know, whatever the other day, where were you guys exactly? And they wouldn't want to divulge. And that always, I, I felt like, like the minute you open it up and offer someone take someone or give someone a spot that there's like a thing it, it, there's like a, a, a understanding most people have that, that would be reciprocated I'm starting to think now did anybody ever break up with me and I didn't know it <laughs> <laughs> I'm open to the idea that it's happened to me we haven't hunted together lately Ranella. no <laughs> <laughs> I think I like to finish it off with the fact to say that it's like a very, uh, as they call them, first world problems. Or it's like a luxury problem to have to be thinking about getting rid of hunting partners because I know a lot of people that don't can't find a single good hunting partner at all. You know, so I think talking about like picking the best ones is, is very luxury to be thinking that way. Yeah, that's um, a good point. You know, a lot of people just can't even find one to go out there, so. You should just open your heart and keep loving the ones you have. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Oh, man. that was good. I almost want to end. I almost want to end the show on that, but there's two more things I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, one thing that's interesting is there's an article that recently came out, and it was about how wolves returning to Oregon and Washington, like what that would mean for deer hunters and what that means for deer. And an interesting study came out of University of Washington where in the pre they, they found that in the, this, it gets kind of interesting about mule deer and whitetail deer, looks at mule deer and whitetails. They find that, they didn't put it this way, but this is the way I look at it, would be, <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's not a loaded sentence. That in the presence of wolves, mule deer become like more like mule deer. And in the presence of wolves, whitetails become more like whitetails, meaning that as mule deer face predation from wolves, they will sometimes shift their areas where they hang out by miles and tend to go into rockier, steeper country than where they would like to be in the absence of wolves. 
faced with predation by wolves, white-tailed deer, conversely, get more white-tailish and want to go out into flatter, more open country. One of the things they attribute this to is, you're familiar with, I'll give you, I'm going to hit you boys with some trivia. What do you call the way a mule deer runs by his bounce? <laughs> this? His bounce. Stot. Stot. They stot. And stotting um, gives them ability to jump and navigate through very broken, rough terrain. And it seems that for whatever reason, they find that they can evade wolves better up in the, the nasty stink. Whitetails want to get down where they can run long distances faster and see more. And to put a little bit of a negative on it, they say that it, mule deer in the presence of wolves move into areas where they're more likely to get preyed upon by mountain lions. And deer move, whitetails move into areas where they're more likely to get smacked by a car and then shot by a driver <laughs> borrowing the service pistol of a <laughs> reluctant officer. They also gave some, some credence to a thing where, and, and they're looking at it, it's like hunters, like as wolves move in and colonize more and more areas all the time, hunters get, oftentimes get a sense of that there's been a great decline in game numbers. And they open up the question in here that maybe as much as anything, people are realizing that, that where they go to traditionally find game isn't paying off. The assumption is that it's gone when in fact it might be radically redistributed. And that they're not seeing, you know what? I got a thing for you. A friend of mine, former friend of mine, he didn't get OTC, we just lost touch. The writer, Chris Offit, uh, wrote a book about his family to which his family took great offense. And he said, you know what? Write your own book. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm recapping. I'm recapping the work. Of, I thought I was pretty clear. I'm explaining something that someone worked on. He finds that, where was I? <laughs> the redistribution of game. Yeah. yeah, that there's a redistribution of game and they're finding more so than an overall decline. But where it gets interesting is that it, the, 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 the recap of it, like it touches on the idea how ranchers have found that even though cattle are not getting killed, necessarily in some cases, they are not gaining weight as fast because they're dealing with so much added stress. And that, so you might not see high mortality just from predation, but the fact of being displaced and added stress could open animals up to higher mortality from other causes. Just a little something. Just, just a short, yeah. Short little something. Short brief. Uh, before we get into the last thing I want to talk about. What is, one, um, what is one thing you cook 
Talk about one thing you cook that you feel like everybody should know about. Heart sandwiches. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, man, heart sandwiches. I stockpile my hearts and my tongues. But like a medium rare heart sandwich, the, you know, the consistency of heart is perfect for a sandwich because you can cook an intact piece of meat. You don't have to like grind it up or slice it. And it's got bite, but no like pull to the bite. You know, it's not like a tough chunk of meat. You know, that's pretty good, man. I should, like, that's a great t-shirt. <laughs> it's got bite, but no pull to the bite. If, if you know what that means, I will listen to what you have to say. Because <laughs> it's true. It's got bite, but there's no pull to the bite. Yeah, hard sandos. Hard sandos. How do you cook the hard? I met a guy that was big into hard sandwiches one time. I think it was in the state of New Hampshire. And he liked to cook his in tomato juice in a crock pot for whatever reason. Oh, wow. Dudes with, people with crock pots. (laughs) What are you going to say next? The whole cream of, like the, you know. (laughs) People with a crock pot. It comes with a can of soup. Yeah. 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 So uh, typically like my preparation, right? Like I'll get my heart out. Cut it open, lay it out, clean her all up. I was going to make an open heart sandwich joke. I thought that was uh, too dad joke. Open of heart sandwich? Yeah. Your and dad then, just had open heart sandwiches. <laughs> it was a success. Uh, olive oil, salt and pepper, let it sit, you know, mix her up in a bowl, let it sit, and then... Uh, uh, like caprese style, like basil, mozzarella, tomato, uh, mayo, and uh, garlic butter on the bun. Like focaccia bun. Yeah. And then uh, throw that uh, heart on the grill, hot grill, medium rare, on the sando. Not sliced all thin. No. Because what's nice about the heart is you can literally, like, if you wanted to, you could put the heart on top of your bun and cut out the outline of the bun. Make it like a perfect meat to bread ratio. <laughs> You're going whole heart. You're going... No, not a whole heart. No, and it's a laid open. Isn't that wasteful of the bread? Remember the open your heart joke? Yeah. Open heart sandwich. But nice, nice slice like that. I'm just trying to track, make sure I'm... Yeah, well, I'll make yeah. them. I got a pile of hearts. Uh, go ahead. You guys ready? Because I can hit mine. No, hit yours. Hit yours. I'm still thinking. My food thing that I wish everybody knew about. I don't yeah. want to follow you. Can I go? Because you'll have something great. Oh, no. Mine's not great. No, it's not great? Okay, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No. I go wish ahead, everybody then. knew about it. No, if it's not great, go for it. They're going to have to wait. Uh, I've been doing a lot of dry aging lately. And because of that, the cuts in the, on the high end leg that you might normally roast or you might normally put in a stew or something, I've been trying to, you know, smoke. We smoked in the office the other day, smoked a, a coos deer hind leg and just took the rounds and, and everything and just made steak, just smoked and sliced them thin. It was great. But I've discovered, especially on the elk, the eye of round is like this beautiful hidden tenderloin that just sits inside of that back leg. So whether you age it or not, you ought to be searing, like probably reverse searing that eye of round just like it's a tenderloin, man. It's delicious. Don't forget about it. A lot of people forget about doing that. I love it. Yeah. The eye of round. The eye of round. 
Someone was asking, and I can't find a good answer. They don't like when they age venison and you cut the rind off, they feel wasteful. Yeah. Discarding the rind. And there's I don't I discard it. It's also occurred to me. I feel like someone to make a good contribution to wild game cuisine should notify the rest of us about a, a good use for the rind once it's trimmed off. Cow feels Dog treats is one. That's good. That's a great one. Cow feels strongly that you, you shouldn't eat it, right? I mean, you I, feel like the, it's... Uh. To go back to a point you made earlier, I, I mean, I ate some in the office the other day just to try it. That's me dealing with my own health. I'm not going to recommend... Yeah, no, I understand. Cow's got a lot of problems, guys. Yeah. He's working on them. Uh, but, you know, white mold. We white mold on salami and stuff like that all the time, so... Um, you know how I was dogging earlier on chefs and how persnickety they are about food safety? A chef buddy of mine, if it's not black and fuzzy, he doesn't pay any attention to it. He doesn't like black fuzzy mold, but other than that. Uh, did you know what's hanging in my garage? I have that shank. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm waiting for that thing to become all rind. When it's rind all the way through, I'm going to cook it. Yeah! <laughs> As... It, it just, As just a Steve test. has, like, hanging from a hook above his workbench what is basically at this point a desiccated deer leg. That <laughs> no, it's, the deer, the it's all cleaned. All yeah, it's, it's bone. Been eaten, it's been eaten except for the, the shank. But it looks as if, like, the dog snagged it off the highway and drug it into the house. <laughs> I... I have a plan <laughs> to what I'm going to do with that thing. I just caught Sean Brock's name. Yeah, man. He's a good dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I didn't like this guy at first, but I'm starting to like him more. My, my one? As we go. Because this comes into where uh, my thing I wish everybody knew about is, are you good on yours? I'm pretty good. Are you good? I'm good. Are we good together? Okay. <laughs> duck. It's like to take a, a puddle duck and... Pluck the duck, and you cut off where you have the breast flay is boneless, and the back leg is bone in, and the back leg is connected to the breast flay by the skin. You can see how to do this in the Meat Eater Fishing Game Cookbook, which is available everywhere. <laughs> Books are sold. And you take it, and then you score the skin both ways so that you wind up with little centimeter squares of skin. Score it with a sharp knife. Then you turn your oven on 400 degrees and once it's good and hot you get a super hot skillet and lay the thing skin down on this lightly oiled super hot skillet. Lay it skin down on there until it's, the skin puckers up and all the little squares are puckered and crispy brown. And then you flip it back, skin up, and stick it in your oven for six or eight minutes until it's very rare on the inside, cooked on the outside. Slice that son of a bitch thin. Serve it with chutney. And then let your children chew the drumstick. That it's key that they're your is children. The yeah. way to eat duck. <laughs> That's how you eat duck. And that's what I tell them. I'm like, that's how you eat duck. <laughs> you, In your face, kids. <laughs> you kids. 
They love the bones. Why do they love the bones so much? My kids are always say, I'm saying, what are they having tonight? I said, elk meat. It's the kind with the bones in it? No, that, that's not elk meat. Like, all they want is ribs these days. Or little duck legs, too. I guess mine right now would be the one I wish everybody knew about would be, um, it's, I'm going to start with turkey pot pie, which I use turkey drumsticks and thighs to make. But just this, in, is se- this is seasonal. You're doing great. This is seasonal. Thank you. But just uh, brazing down thighs and legs off a turkey. I still hear so many people talking about, oh, just pop the breast and, you know, leave the rest out there. And, man, you, like, you double your yield by taking out those, you know, legs and thighs. And then uh, what we've been doing now is pre-brazing them on the weekend. When I've got some time, I'll do just a whole crock pot full, cook them all day long, pick it all apart. My wife really likes it if I take all the tendons and the little extra stuff, that didn't, the jello that didn't quite melt down and disappear. All that stuff needs to be gone. And then we package it in, you know, half pound back seal bags, super thin. And that way, anytime I want to make turkey pot pie or we do um, like carnitas with them, soft shell taco kind of deals. Yep. Um, what else? We'll make a quick like uh, chicken noodle or not chicken, turkey noodle soup. Um, just take some chicken stock, some noodles, some veggies, throw in a package of that, and you got this awesome soup that, um, you know, you get that super great wild dark meat flavor out of it. So, um, yeah, that'd be, that's what I want everybody to know about is that meat is awesome. You just got to cook it right. And uh, then if you want to go ne- next level is make that turkey pot pie because that's a real crowd pleaser. Where can they find that one? <laughs> just joking. <laughs> if they came up with... Are you guys hip to this whole thing with lab-grown cultured meat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People keep asking, like, dude, if they come up with lab-grown cultured meat, will you stop hunting? Like, what the hell? Like, I didn't stop hunting. I didn't stop hunting when they came up with... People didn't stop hunting when they came up with farm meat. Nope. Why the hell would you quit for that? No, negative. Feel free to boo everybody about that idea. <laughs> it, it doesn't Terrible sound appetizing. Idea. No, I'm skittish of it, man. I'm skittish of lab-grown meat. And also, it's like the whole thing about it is it's what you're striving for, in my mind, is like that, that visceral, hands-on experience, you know? And that seems to me like running in the exact opposite direction i do like i don't care if i i hope other people really dig it and really love it but no man it, i mean it doesn't have any bearing good for the hipsters yeah oh you know what's funny about that my wife sent me an article this is, i'm gonna wrap we're gonna wrap it up in a second here my wife sent me an article and it was some some magazine had done an article about how all hipsters look the same and there's a there's a picture, they use a picture of a hipster on it. And a guy writes in, he says, that's me in the picture, and I'm suing you guys. And then they go and do research on the image, and it turns out it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got, Yanni, you, you were going to do, do the things yeah, you need man, to do Yeah, man, I can now. do it. Um, We've got some uh, uh, presents for our birthday guests. Oh, yeah, but then we got a quick uh, concluder. Oh. Concluders? No. I was thinking about, like, factory meats, you know, like, meat, cultured meats. And I, you know, anybody ever had, like, a steakum? No. Nope. Anything like that? A steakum? Or, like, a, I feel like there's so much stuff worse already out there that you can get at McDonald's that's, that's 
that uh, meat, yeah, McRib. Meat grown in a lab would be better for me than a McRib. So I just want to put paint, that out there. They paint the grill marks on Yeah. So, like, I don't have as much problem with that as I do. I, think, I feel like if you get McDonald's, you just have to eat it, like, in an alley so you feel bad about what you do. <laughs> I feel strongly about that. So, I think, man, if they would be on the right track, if you could literally, like, grow... Th- you could get, like, a kit and grow the meat, like, in your garden. Right? Like, I feel like then you grow your own meat and then you at least have a sense of satisfaction of like, how's that burger? You like that? I think you should be like Chia Pet style or on your counter. Yeah. Sprout out, turn into a steak. But if if it's just like another series of somebody buying anonymous stuff that they have no connection to it's like what uh, is this a uh, step forward or a step back you know yeah, what are you growing in your greenhouse well, I have t-bones I have t-bones <laughs> growing in there yeah a couple fillets yeah i pulled that off the burger tree <laughs> <laughs> you like that do you all right yes oh you got a concluder was that did that constant was that you guys concluders i mean yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i feel comfortable yanni i have a concluding question Can oh that's great it? that doesn't Can make any just, sense it's a can, I, can I try it? Please. Then do. we'll see. Because yeah. I just I feel, we get versions of this, but not this one. Is there ever? We always get asked like, what animal we'd love to hunt? What animal we'd hunt for the rest of our days? What animal have we not hunted yet? But what's the animal that you have not eaten yet that you would like to eat? Oh, oh, that you're curious about? Yeah. We're working on a deal where we got a badger uh, on the ground. Sasquatch. 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 <laughs> Sasquatch would have, like, nice back straps. Yeah. Probably nice eye round, too. <laughs> yeah, nice eye round. Dry age Sasquatch. We got a badger. We're going to do a thing where we're going to try to eat a badger. So I can't, I'll say that. All right. For All right. Promotional purposes. Uh, well, I guess all of it. Um, <laughs> I'm curious about it all. Uh, but I just had... Uh, was hanging out and ice fishing with a state trapper in Montana, and uh, I had just been cooking up some mountain lion with a friend of mine, and he was like, well, yeah, what do you think about bobcat? I said, well, I've never eaten bobcat. He's like, well, it tastes like piss. (laughs) And so now I'm very curious as to why... Mm. A bobcat could somehow taste different than a mountain lion. Mountain lion's delicious um, and an absolute treat to have in the freezer. Um, so now I've, I kind of feel like I need to try some bobcat and do, do the Pepsi challenge. <laughs> I'll do a triangle test. Triangle test, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it would be a, this is a little bit tricky because there's a fish I really like like black cod, but it would be a, I want to find out what a black cod that I caught tastes like. Mm, that is tricky. <laughs> which is tricky, <laughs> which is very tricky, but I'm striving for that, and I'm, and I'm hoping to hit that this summer. That's my concluder. Now, well, you got some chores you need to do. Yep. Two things. Two things. One, you got to help me out, though, with the merch table. What do we, what do we got left out there? 
Well, we have yeah. So we have the on, the live show only. The live show only. Steam breathing turkey. Steam breathing turkey. That's right. Shirt. How to gut a deer bandana. How to gut a Yanni's. How to gut a deer bandana. Very useful. Cal's uh, smell us now, lady T-shirt. Smell us now, lady. I must comment that I for the first time saw a guy wearing one, and it is a little bit creepy. <laughs> Because, but in like the best way possible. Yeah, because I think that someone might see that and they might not think that that's something that someone shouted during a grizzly bear attack. Yeah, they might. It might have been something that they overheard in a dark alley somewhere. Like some, uh, some, some so, in Las Vegas late night. It's a confusing uh, shirt. The young, lady that was, the young lady that's running the merch table, uh, probably not a hunter, the look she had when she was reading the text of that shirt—I wish I could. I wish I could. Was very it. impressed. Shocking. She was all. very yeah, impressed. No. Yes. Yeah. And she said, "Man, whoever would wear a shirt like this would be a sexy, beautiful human being." <laughs> yeah. With a I big heart. The words I heard. Her With sex. a big open heart. Yes. We also have uh, THC, the wow. hunting collective. I was concerning to me that we're calling it TV. Gosh, guys. Uh, hats you and don't shirts. know, this is the podcast that I have, and it's concerning that we're starting to call it THC. I love it. But if we're going to call it THC, I think we should start selling gummy bears. <laughs> I'm well, you know what I heard real quick? Uh, what I heard from a guy is, they were, I don't understand this, but you know we're talking about packing a full stadium of dip? Yeah, big chaw. He said there's a thing they do where... <laughs> which means, they, just so everybody's on board, which means that you take enough to fill up your whole upper gum and your whole lower gum. Yeah, because you, you can run, like, you can run an upper decker, which is, which is, or a horseshoe. You can run a horseshoe or upper decker. You can run a horseshoe lower decker. But when you run both horseshoe upper and lower decker, it becomes a full stadium. But apparently... <laughs> The youngsters these days are, are taken where they're running up, they're running a full stadium of gummy bears while doing tequila shots. Oh, yeah. And a guy was talking about having this happen and then all of a sudden had to throw up and got so bogged up in his mouth that he threw up out his nose. Oh. So it's like. And he wrote into the Meteor uh, website to tell us. For some us reason, about he wrote us about this. We're very, for some reason, we're very trusting. We, for would, some no, reason we, we wouldn't tell anybody about Did that story. Did it end story? with, do I have a problem? <laughs> you know, I'd have to go revisit it. I don't think there was a problem. He was like, point. I was pouring over my Onyx. <laughs> and then I, please don't tell anyone about this. All right, guys. Good Thank night. We love all of you. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps 
turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.